Go on, Simon. Off you go. Hello and welcome to the Manchester United podcast, wherever in the world you're listening. I'm Sam Homewood, Helen Evans and David Mayer online too, or Simon, Dave and Evans as we now go by after last week, <laughs> uh, which means the HMS nickname the listeners gave us no longer works. We're Des now. Dezers, how are we doing? Evans, you first. Yes, good, thank you. How are you, Sam? I'm very good, thank you. Dave, you well? Simon, really good. Cooking <laughs> on gas. People will laugh and think this is all fun and games. But anyone that's spent any time with you will know the Simon thing will, will go forever now. Uh, uh, it will. You're now officially called Simon. Yeah. yeah, it'll never end. It'll be easier to change my, my identifications than it will to convince Maisie to stop calling me Simon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Helen, you're back in uh, Northern Ireland, aren't you? How's yes. that? Good. Flew over with the kids, which was nice. The kids were very excited to see family because they haven't seen my side of the family for about four months. So they're back with their cousins and yeah, it's been lovely. Nice to be reunited with everyone. Did the pigeons follow? No, but... But, here we go. Exclusive. There's an exclusive coming. <laughs> There's been quite a few magpies in this garden over here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I meant to say, actually, Helen, uh, Bill Oddie's been in touch. He wants to know if you can come on his podcast. <laughs> Who? Bill Ollie. Who's Bill Ollie? <laughs> I knew it. Bill Ollie. <laughs> what? <sighs> Task. Bill Ollie the, is a sort of ornithologist. Loves birds. What? I, what are you talking about? Bill Ollie. Bill Ollie. Ollie. He's a he's a bird watcher, but he's a twitcher. Yeah, twitcher. Yeah. Are you? Is this a joke? No, no, no. He's on about seven o'clock, seven thirty every Tuesday or something like Spring that. Watch. Is that watch his thing? Watch it. That's the one, Samuel. How do you all know this? So weird. To clarify, it, it was a joke. He hasn't been in touch, but he does exist. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know, but I just don't know who he is. That's just a typical Tasker joke. Nobody gets it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Where were we? Magpies. Yeah. Yes, a couple of magpies. Not causing me too much trouble, guys, I have to admit. It's nice to be away from the pigeons, though, in Manchester. Uh, But your (laughs) journey did mean you missed out, actually, on this conversation with Lee Grant, didn't it? I know. I'm sorry, guys. Gutted to miss one. It was a good one. I I mean, I can't wait for everyone to hear this. He's so enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. But I had a sore face when we... I genuinely had a sore face when we finished from smiling. Yeah, top fella. Gutted to miss this one. Not to tease it, but you're going to love this. Um, obviously we're doing this chat afterwards so that so that uh, we can let Helen know what she missed out on and, and she can say hello and be involved um, but we did uh, Maisie and I sat down with Lee Grant who obviously he hasn't played hundreds of times for United but he has a completely unique uh, life as a United player I suppose compared to other players in the squad and he has a much better understanding of what's going on in the squad than us currently or anybody else listening from the outside um, so a fascinating guy to talk to who's had a great career and also is a lifelong United fan yeah it's, um, it's it's a wonderful story what he tells the fact that you know being at Watford similar to Ash- Ashley Young getting rejected and then moving on to another club and on to another club and then he gets his final dream move or the opportunity to join Manchester United and it's brilliant how he's how the story comes about and his agent tells him and he says right that's it drop everything we're going there. Brilliant. I loved it. Well, here it is then. This is our chat with Lee Grant. What? Wife's just shouting me out the window now. Hold on one second. We haven't started yet, have we? No, no, no. <laughs> What's up, babe? The what? I can't. What, what do you mean? <laughs> she wants me to sort out. We're trying to sort out saddles on bikes now. I've, listen, this is my life. Saddles on tricycles, it's unbelievable. This is a pressing issue that needed to be sorted out before this podcast. Sorry, lads. Right, I'm back. I'm back in the room. No problems. Let's crack on. Okay. Uh, Lee Grant, welcome to the Manchester United podcast. Thanks for having me. 
You're very welcome. Uh, how's your lockdown been? Because it's been a weird few months for everybody. Yeah, um, okay. Generally, I'll be honest, okay. I've had some really good time with the family, um, some stressful times. I mean, I've been playing teacher's assistant to my wife and she's been kind of running the ship. So that's a new experience for me. It took me a couple of weeks to sort of find my rhythm within all of that. But yeah, all good. Really pleased to be back at work and have that sense of normality return. So yeah, all good. Um, just looking forward to a, what's hopefully going to be a really exciting last couple of weeks of the season. It must be weird because you say it's nice having that sense of normality return. But of course, now we're playing football. Mm. Well, I'm not, but you are playing football in sort of the middle of the summer, which isn't the most normal thing to do. Yeah, I think it's um, somebody said that today. We were in the um, treatment room. I don't make a habit of hanging around in the treatment room, but we was in the treatment room this morning and discussing that exact thing. And somebody piped up and said, oh, we'd just be returning from some far-flung corner of the world right now. Um, That's right, yeah. And actually, yeah, actually, I mean, you get kind of lost in it. We're obviously in the middle of a season and games. And of course, with the the restart games have been coming thick and fast so you get lost in all of that and um it wasn't until that you know we were discussing that this morning that i realized blimey now yeah would actually be in i don't know where would be somewhere in um asia or in india or wherever it was we were planning to head to this um this summer as a football club so yes yeah, it's, it's odd when you think about it like that but in a sense it's just um head down and train, train, game, train, train, game. And that's kind of where we're at. And we're back into that rhythm. And really, you drop into that rhythm quite quickly. Are you into your... Do you listen to podcasts and stuff? Do you know what? I've only just discovered podcasts. I literally (laughs) discovered podcasts in the last 12 months. And I am addicted to Reggie Yates' podcast. And obviously, Peter Crouch has been doing wonderful things and everybody's um, badgering me to get onto Crouchy's podcast as well. And there's a couple of guys, a couple of the physios at the football club that listen to um, some some decent ones as well. Um, and apparently Man United have got a half decent one. So I might have to, uh, <laughs> I might have to start yeah. listening to that Maisie as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> Bloody old plus, you know, we just pick whoever we can at the time. Yeah, you get any old riff raff on. <laughs> Love it. Love okay, it. Lee, let's go back to the very beginning. So you were born in Hemel Henstead. You grew up down south, obviously, now you're up north. And you started your, your career as, as a youth player at Watford. Yeah. Before that happened, though, at some point in the, in the journey of a very young boy's life, and there, presumably a, a massive love of football, you thought goalkeeper. Yeah, um, I don't particularly know why. I just always love diving around. Maisie, you'll probably remember, well, both of you will definitely remember, you know those those sets you used to get for Christmas where you get a ball, you'd get the pump and you'd get a pair of gloves that look like gardening yeah. gloves, yeah. like yellow with the little patches on. That's like it. I used to sit looking through the catalogues um, and just be like, oh, that's all I wanted. And the goalie gloves, and oh, I, that was like my dream every Christmas was to get that from like the age of between five and um, 35. No, I'm only kidding. And (laughs) like those gloves, I used to love putting those gloves on, going up the field and just getting balls pelted at me all day long. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how I ended up preferring to be in net. It's usually the last place you want to be as a kid. You you know, usually want to be scoring goals, but I just sort of 
enjoyed it. I just enjoyed it. And I used to hang around with a lot of older kids as well. And, you know, as the youngest one, you get chucked in there anyway. So um, that's probably part of it as well. <laughs> who, were your, who were your heroes? Who did you look at? Because you talk about gloves. I remember, because when I was really young, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be Peter Schmeichel. And I really wanted yeah. those Roish, you know, the ones he had. Oh my God. The couldn't clap, get them. The right. and he had the such a small town. No, you couldn't get them anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't get them yeah. anywhere. And well, we had, um, we had this like dedicated sports shop that I used to walk on the way on, onto town and it, it had everything like sports shops used to be where you used to be able to get anything sport related in there and they used to do that a whole section upstairs for goalkeeper gloves and I used to just go and spend like an hour just looking at goalie gloves and trying them on no full world I couldn't afford any of them and those Royce ones and he had a pair that I think were like special ones where they had an S on yeah. which I think he wore in European Cups because I was always a United fan so I used to watch yeah, obviously Pete Schmeichel, um, Les Seeley, Jim Layton with the Vaseline and all the rest of it. And like, I used to love those guys. I used to love watching them and just be in awe of the the shirts, the Adidas shirts with the um, the full length stripes going down the green with the white stripes. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So uh, what? how come you were a United fan growing up where you did? My stepdad was a United fan. And again, bizarre, He's a he was a Southerner. So it's like, um, odd, but... Listen, I mean, United, yeah, it's got such a reach, hasn't it? And um, it wasn't as though at that time as well that they were the biggest, most dominant football club. It wasn't necessarily the case, but especially as I started heading into secondary school, that was the case. You know, they were winning everything left, right and centre. So it was incredible to be a United fan at that time. But yeah, and do you know what? I mean, we even had in my little small town, Hemel Hempstead, Hertfordshire, we had, we had, I remember we had a, a Clinton's cards and it had a full, like the upper level. So the upstairs of that shop was a full Manchester United superstore, which is odd when I think about it. It's like, <laughs> how can Man United, and, and the whole, so the whole upstairs of that shop was just Man United memorabilia, scarves, mugs, whatever you wanted. And again, I'd spend hours just strolling around there making my Christmas lists for, you know, everybody. So, yeah, that's, you know, Man United since I can remember. Which means you must have some good memories of watching Maisie. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just listening on the old transistor. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, listen, when you're young, you're not necessarily taking too much notice of the games and the significance and all the rest of it. You just remember... You just remember the players and of course, yeah, David May, huge player for the football club, as I remember, yeah. Granny, obviously you, you first, your first club was uh, Watford. Yeah. But at 15, you got released. How was that? Yeah, I think it was a little bit before 15. I, I, I actually got released, It was at se I was at secondary school. It was more towards sort of 13. So between, and between the ages of 13 and 14, I didn't, I was playing a lot of football at school, um, but not. I wasn't playing any football with um, you know attached to a professional club. I was playing yeah. with my Sunday league team and my school, and that was pretty much it. Because Watford at sort of twelve thirteen had said, "No, you're not going to be good enough," and that was it. Basically, it was kind of like they stopped returning my phone calls. One of those <laughs> ones, like, mm, "Don't turn up." What was your thought, pro thought process after that? Then having heard that. <sighs> I was I was so sporty, like most kids, all I wanted to do was just be out and about. That's all we yeah. had to do at that time. So it hurt me to a degree, but in the same sense, it gave me an opportunity to focus on other stuff. 
So I was heavily into my rugby. I really, I was, I was adamant I was going to take up, rugby was going to take the same, take football's place, basically. Um, I was playing a lot of rugby. A lot of kids at my school were pretty handy. Went on to sort of into Saracens Academy, which was down the road. Um, and yeah, I thought I was going to be an inside centre and um, that was going to be where I was going to end up. And if I wasn't going to do that, then I thought, well, I'm pretty strong at athletics and yeah. I was county champion at high jump. And I thought, yeah, that'll, I'll be all right. I'll end up in the Olympics. And if I don't end up as a high jump, I'll be a, B, pentath- yeah, I'll be a pentathlete. I was doing all, yeah, I was doing all right at pentathlon as well. And then I started to realise as I got to sort of 14, 15, that, oh, wow, do you know what? As you start heading into like nationals I got to the national finals for high jump and I finished rank last like my highest jump was I was I was finishing my highest jump at like 188 something like that and there was kids the same age or slightly older coming in at 190 and jumping two meters and all of this stuff and I was like oh so maybe I'm not going to be a high jumper and as you get older, you start to realise there's, you know, there's people out there that are a lot more talented than you are. And then I started getting hit harder in rugby and there was bigger guys than me and faster guys than me <laughs> and lads that just had more rugby intelligence than I did. I was just, I was quite fortunate that there was a guy out on the outside centre that could run um, 100 metres in 11 seconds. So I used to throw a little dummy inside and offload it and then we'd score a try. And I used to think I was really good at rugby because of it. And then I I realised that I wasn't when I started getting concussed and my tackling technique was horrific. So um, that's when I probably started thinking about football again a bit more seriously as we got towards the end of secondary school. And um, I mean, I say I was lucky. I worked really hard, but I was lucky, I suppose, in a sense, because... I managed to still get a couple of opportunities um, and find myself back in the game. It's interesting, one um, comparison, because we spoke to Ashley Young and obviously he was at Watford and I guess it was about two years mm. different between the two of you. Yeah. And he was also told that he wasn't quite good enough and he was a bit small. And did you did you know each other? Did you remember each other when you found yourself at Old Trafford? No. Do you know what? I mean, strangely, me and, uh, me and Ash have had some we've had like a, a cross section of friends. So some of the friends I've had growing up um, have been Ash's friends and vice versa. So we've always known each other to a degree anyway, even though actually our paths never crossed at Watford. So I was unaware of his journey and um, he was probably completely unaware of mine. I mean, at the time at Watford, there was, a, there was a kid in goal and I'm still friends with him, Richard Lee, who I think they just rated much higher than, than me. Um, and that was pretty much the bottom bottom line it was like well we think he's going to have a better chance of being a top goalkeeper than you are he's also a United fan isn't he yeah he is he's rubbish Richard Lee's rubbish no I'm only joking he's my mate he's my mate he's a good friend we're still friends now we speak all the time and he's what he's doing some stuff for Sky now as well and whenever um, whenever we're talking or he's in front of a camera he likes to remind people oh you got released because of me I was much better than you <laughs> but yeah that was it that was basically it they thought he was going to be a top top goalkeeper and he, he went on and played for their first team and did great and had a really good career um, I'm fortunate that I've managed to find my own way find my own way how did you move to Derby come around? Eric Steele who obviously you guys will know yeah. well he was senior goalkeeper coach at Derby County at the time and they were short of a, an under 16 keeper for that following season so they basically needed a goalkeeper who was going to come into the building at 16 years old uh, which is full time once you've left school 
they didn't have that position kind of locked down. So they're obviously putting the feelers out around. And Eric Steele must have known or had a really good relationship at the time with Eddie Needs Vicky, who you probably know yeah. as well, uh, yeah. Maisie, yeah. Who's, a, who's a top, top coach, got so much time for him. And long story short, Eddie thought I had something and invited me to come and train with him and his keepers down at Chelsea on a Tuesday night. So I used to travel down there, train with them. And basically he said, look, we've got two really good goalkeepers at your age. We've got a really good one the year below and a good one the year above. But I think you've got an opportunity to you know, have a career somewhere. So come and train with us and I'll see if I can get you a trial. He got me a trial at Wimbledon. And I remember going to Wimbledon and Neil Sullivan yeah. was in goal for them at the time. And I remember training with... I mean, I was only 15, so I remember training with their under-18s and stuff, and I got an opportunity to train with the first-team keepers for a little bit. I think I had a week there in the summer holidays, so this probably would have been going into my last year of school, so I would have been 15. And they said no, and I was thinking, oh, my God, this is, like, it's getting tight now. Last year of school, I need to get something sorted. But Eddie kept persisting, and must have spoken to Eric Steele, arranged for me to come up to Derby for a week's trial, and literally, I was there, I was booked to come up for the week. And on the Tuesday, they were ringing my parents and saying, we'd like to sign Lee and, um, you know, what do you think? And I was just obviously over the moon. It yeah, take yeah. me two minutes to decide. And, um, yeah, that's how I ended up at Derby County. How was that, how was that leaving house, leaving home? Uh, Tough or you're a homebird? Yeah, I, I was. But strangely, I, I kind of always predicted that that was going to be happen, the route yeah. for me. Yeah, that was going to be the route. So I was really prepared for it. Um, it didn't come as a shock and um, almost looking forward to it as well. I've always enjoyed that experience of seeing the world and meeting new people. And um, yeah, I, I really embraced it. I actually enjoyed it. Um, Did you say Digs? To a degree at the start. Yeah, I was straight into Digs. The first, I got moved. So I had, a, I had one Digs and I had a lovely couple that looked after me, really babied me. They were fantastic, but I was on my own. And I'm really, I'm a social character and yeah. I needed some interaction with the lads. And especially coming into it a little bit late. It wasn't like I'd been at Derby since I was eight years old and I'd known the, all the boys. I'd only been there, you know, a short period before we went into full time. So um, they ended up putting me with one of the other lads and we moved digs right into the middle of Derby, you know, so we'd catch the bus everywhere and he looked after me, took me under his wing, taught me all the things I shouldn't be doing because um, he was a year <laughs> above me. So we got into all kinds of scrapes but that was probably the making of me really it was really such a really really good time I loved being in digs even though my digs weren't the best but in, in some sense in, in another sense they were excellent because we almost had like a free, free reign yeah, yeah and it was it was brilliant it was brilliant so really good time were you in digs Maisie did you, did you get an opportunity to do that I, I, was, I was in digs in Blackburn yeah for two was years yeah. My, fir my first digs there was four of us in one big, large double bedroom, bunk oh beds my, and two beds. Oh my and it, God, and it I was can't a imagine what that was like. I can't yeah. imagine what that the, was like. Um, the landlady and landlord, they were getting, what was it getting? They were getting £35 per person for the week. Yeah, yeah. But she'd, she'd cook all the meals in the morning. So when you got back, back home, there'd be like <laughs> a skin on the gravy, it was minging. Oh, uh, do you know what? Yeah. That, so, so I said to you about my digs, my, the people in my digs, top, top people, it's only the dinners that let them down. And this must be a gripe for all lads in their digs, because you're saying the same thing. Our dinners were... Oh. Ours was the same all the time. 
pudding chips and gravy pudding sp- p- potatoes and gravy and be a thick skin on it be horrible yeah you're bringing back so many horrible memories like yeah. we'd come back from we'd, we'd have a resi game or something and we'd come back at 10 11 at night and the dinner that was cooked at four or five for the rest of the family That's was it. just still still sat on yeah. the table no cover on it nothing it's just like <laughs> oh here we go let's get it down yeah grit your teeth and get on with it but yeah other than that just so many happy memories but I did the same I, I moved I moved to Bad Digs my digs were great did you? oh yeah. she, she was brilliant Jenny she was fantastic yeah, yeah. I mean it's, it is the making of you I think when, when, you, when, when you're in digs and you have to learn you, you're, you're getting baby to a degree if you've got a good digs people like obviously yeah. sounds like you obviously had and we had they look after you but at the same time you do have to grow up and learn how to yeah. manage yourself um, and they are good times really good times what was your debut like? My debut was unbelievable. I loved it. So you were 19, right? I was 19, which, um, when I think about it now, it doesn't sound that young. At the time, I felt like... It's pretty, it's pretty young. I felt like a baby. I felt like a baby. Um, I think as a goalkeeper, it's, it's fairly young. You're on the young side, yeah. but I felt like a baby. I mean... It was the, the the big thing about that game was for it was Forest and obviously Derby Forest is the same as United City or Chef Wednesday Chef United or Liverpool Everton. It's massive. If you're not from Derby or you're not from Nottingham, it doesn't mean anything. It's insignificant. But if you're from Derby or Nottingham, it's huge. And um, you know, it's the Brian Clough little trophy that's at stake. Means a lot. And it was John Gregory pulled me in. Um, I came on the week before. Andy Oakes had came off I think with 20 or 30 minutes to go in the game previously I can't remember how he, why he came off took an injury a thigh or something came on and I was really steady in the last half an hour I think we won that game um, so that was my half debut and then the following week was the big crunch game and Andy was fit Oaksy was fit and I was kind of like well it's a big decision to chuck me in for that game live on Sky but he did Gaffer pulled me in and was just like you're going to play so get ready I think you're ready I think you'll be fine go and do what you've been doing and, was, that, was, um, that on the, was that on the Friday? I think it was Friday. I think he pulled me in on the Friday morning yeah I don't remember anything I don't remember anything from that conversation until the final whistle if you ask me what happened no I remember the game but I don't remember anything about the Friday day the Friday night or telling my parents or speaking to the lads and saying oh big debut tomorrow I don't remember any of that all I remember was that conversation and then it's probably just ah, fear yeah. <laughs> and get ready for tomorrow and yeah the game went really well it, personally because I mean you know again insignificant for the wider football world but for me um, nil-nil at home in a big game um, in front of a TV audience for the first time it was, it was really important Yeah, it was really important and I, and I loved it I loved it so you had some big characters in that Derby team, didn't you? Yeah, I'm about to say. So we had we were in that sort of transition period. Derby was at that time. I was obviously dropping out of the Premier League and having to make adjustments financially in terms of personnel, but still with the uh, legacy really of some of those that Premier League stint. Um, and as you say, Fabrizio Rovanelli, Kinky, you know, huge characters, huge players like Kinky was unbelievable the things he used to do in training um, we had this little bowling green at Derby where on a Friday you'd go and play your five-a-sides and it had boards around all sides it's like a five-a-side pitch like you'd get down at your local sports centre and we used to go on there so the ball was never out of play and you'd play like three roll-on roll-off three or three minutes or whatever and little tiny you know five-a-side goals 
and the ball would just be glued to his foot the whole time and he would just be embarrassing people in there. I mean, Georgie Kinkladze, you do things with a ball I've never seen a player do since. Really, really, you know, amazing. But, you know, he had his, he had his frailties as a player in terms of work rate or attitude or anything, you know, the other stuff that comes with it. But what a, what a top individual. Um, and then as well, there was other characters, you know, big characters like Ian Taylor and... Um, Rob Lee, I think, played on my debut. In fact, yeah. Rob Lee was man. Of, Rob Lee was man of the match that game because I remember because he gave me the. He was man of the match, and I think he did the press, and I must have done the press with him, and he gave me the champagne afterwards and said, "Keep that, you earned that, son." Oh. And I, that was a really, really nice touch. Very typical of Rob. Like what a lovely, what a lovely guy he was, Rob Lee. Yeah, yes. Warren Barton as well. You know, these are big, big Premier League players that had unbelievable careers. Obviously, they were coming towards the back end when they started arriving at Derby. Ian Taylor, Warren Barton, these guys, but great players for someone like myself, who was a young youngster in the team, to sort of be around. And you you quickly learn when you're around senior pros like that who have been at the top level you quickly learn how to behave and conduct yourself <laughs> and what's acceptable in terms of your manner and your attitude to train and all the rest of it and um, I was probably quite lucky actually in that sense I don't know about you Maisie but like there's certain players like that but that they have an impact on you Jeff Kenner as well all these types of guys that yeah they have an impact on you you probably had some yourself where yeah I was very lucky I had great United player Kevin Moran yeah Gordon Cowens yeah proper senior pros that have been there seen it and done it and mm. I probably learned more from Kev playing with him for I think maybe about a season and a half than I did for the rest of my career playing alongside you know Pally Bruce because he just he taught me through games and I found it amazing how he did it yeah. yeah and he would pull me after a game and say why did you do that why did you do that if you'd have done that that would have happened and I learned so much yeah in such a short short space of time Priceless, priceless. It is. It's priceless. It's it's such a, it's like such an underrated thing to have. And I think some managers now really value that in certain players. Do you yeah. know what? It's probably half the reason why I'm at Man United as well. It's probably part of the reason why uh, it's part of my role at the football club. But I know for a fact that those players and as you say, the way they they commentate through training and they're yeah. on you and they're on you and you're thinking, wow, oh, God, any chance? I just want to. <laughs> enjoy training for a day why are you on me all the time can't I just it's like no come on come on and it's like it's a five aside is it that important do we have to win and I remember Warren Barton I remember being on Warren's team in a five aside and him just berating me I'm thinking god it's a five aside and then actually it's not just a five this is work we're preparing it's really important this is how he's getting himself ready physically and mentally to go and play on a Saturday and he had high standards all throughout his career so mm-hmm. there was no reason for him to drop off in a five-a-side at Derby County no. towards the end of his career and actually like I really now as a senior pro myself I, I massively appreciate that type of influence those guys had so is that do you do you find that's you're, you're doing that at a train now you're talking to people all the time yeah not even consciously not even consciously yeah it's just something you it's just something you develop and learn I've noticed it you just met you mentioned Ashley Young earlier Hey, only me. Sorry for interrupting mid-pod. But it was at this point in our conversation with Lee that his audio recording failed and we switched to our backup audio. Don't worry, Lee. Happens to the best of us. So if you notice it sounds a bit different from here, that's why. And it's all still great content. So let's get back to it. I noticed when I came to United that it wasn't the most 
vociferous of, you know, training on a training day, on the training ground, training wasn't necessarily as loud as it was when I was at a Burnley or when I was at a Sheffield Wednesday or Derby, you know, everything was a bit more serene. The level was sky high compared to some of the places I've been in my career, sky high. But there was a difference in atmosphere, noise, volume. And that's something I've learned, of course, with the difference in individuals that we have here. Um, and I learned and I saw the difference of that when I was at Stoke and when you're dealing with different types of players. And I noticed that with Youngie in particular, he was just, nah, 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 nah. He's on at people all the time. Come on, you. And nah, nah, and effing and jeffing and on at people all the time, almost to the point where he is commentating. He's commentating on the training session. <laughs> and it dawned on me when he left that there's one less voice doing that. And I'm one of the voices that does do that. And that's just because of the way that I've been brought up or yeah. the way that I, you know, I, I feel that's right. Obviously with my position as well, I feel it's important. I feel like the further back you go in the team, the more you need to talk and organize and manage and orchestrate things. But Youngie did that really well. And as I say, you know, he's off now, the pasture's new. So I find myself doing that in those small sided games and in training. And, and yeah, it is, it's funny because it's, it's not something I'd know. I didn't notice that happen or a sudden change. And I just started, I was thinking I've got to start doing that now. I'm, I'm 30 now. I've got to start doing that. It's just something that sort of comes in as you get older. And now I find myself doing it. Yeah. So do you think the younger players are now in the position that you were in and they're like, oh, give us a break, Granny, just trying to enjoy training over yeah. it? hundred percent, hundred percent. They're thinking, I wish he would shut up. Yeah. I remember a game we used to play when I was at Blackburn as a apprentice, first year, second year pro, where you'd play where you couldn't speak. Yeah. That's a, it's the worst game ever. Yeah, we've done it. I've done it. I've done it at a few clubs. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, Steve McLaren used to do it at Derby with us. And with, because the, the five O's at Derby, um, you call them five O's, they're never five aside nowadays. It's always seven v seven or six v yeah. six, four v four, three, whatever it is. But they were always really intense and well contested. And then it, it just chucked one in every now and again. No talking. It's like, oh, horrible. Hard work. It is. You must have found it difficult. Again, because your, your position, I imagine you were just non stop nattering, nattering, nattering. Yeah. Getting on at him and pulling pulling your full back in. You end up clapping. Yeah, yeah, with clap. You get lads clapping. Get through whist- yeah. whist- we get lads whistling. And- whistling, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, all sorts. You'd get all sorts. Yeah, it's interesting. Maisie, obviously, Grantley made his debut when he was 19. Did you ever have to play as a centre back with a really young goalkeeper? Because I wonder how, from a defensive point of view, you handle that. Because I suppose there's a lot of pressure on the goalkeeper and you have to trust that they're going to do everything that they need to do. Yeah. Well, I, I made my debut with a goalkeeper called uh, Terry Geno, who was mm-hmm. 36, 37, coming to the twilight of his career. And he would, he, he'd be like, granted, never shut up. But he's just barking out orders, orders all the time, yeah. which you need. Yeah. And then I had probably about six months with a lad called Darren Collier, who was from Middlesbrough. Great shot stopper, great keeper, but chalk and cheese. You're like, I need, you know, I need him to speak to me, yeah. to organise me. And when you don't have that... It makes your job more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, any kids out there, I was taught from an early age, just talk. Yeah. Don't matter what you're saying, just talk and you get into a routine. Yeah. And you just end up, you know, talking yourself through again, talking. Yeah. I never shut up when I played. Never shut up. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I actually find that I need it. I don't know about you, Maisie. I felt like... 
if I was, if there'd be a period in a game and I was quiet or if the game had kicked off on the 10 minutes, I'm not at a touch and I'm not really said anything to anyone. I'll be, I'll be questioning myself. <laughs> oh, that's it today, Lee. And then I'd just, I'd just say something. I'd just say something to someone just to get myself. Just to get a go, yeah. Yeah. And there might be games where we win two, three nil comfortable. And the later getting those games, the more I'll be rabbiting on at people. And, I'd need that to keep myself right in games. Yeah. And if I didn't have it, I always used to think to myself, oh, you're not right. I'm not sure about you today, Granny. You're quiet. Why are you quiet? And I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be thinking it's not right. So it was always a sign for me of yeah. if, I'm, if I'm nattering, if I'm chatting, if I'm pulling people about, then all right, okay, I'm active. I think you, con- I think you con- subconsciously, I think you concentrate more when you're chatting away. I do. Well, it keeps you in the game. If of course it does, yeah. yeah. Talk- if you're talking and organising, it keeps you in the game. But that's really interesting to know that you as a centre half with a quiet goalkeeper behind you, you feel like you're missing something yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Probably at some point in my career as a young goalkeeper, that was probably me behind a young experience, maybe back four at Derby and maybe being a bit quiet and finding my way into the game. And they're probably thinking, oh God, I've got to now make up for that myself. You've got to find something yourself because you're not necessarily yeah. getting information from him back there. So that's really And I, th- I, think, I think the other thing where you look at it as well is if you say the wrong thing, yeah. you're afraid to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Whereas when I played alongside Kev, he, he, Kev just talked me through games. Yeah. Made his left shoulder, made his right shoulder. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And just speak to me. Just it, 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 If the ball's at the other end, you just say, speak to me, talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just talk, don't shut up. Brilliant. Young players now, they're, they're, I mean, we have this at, at the football club now. We've got some really talented young players and I've had the pleasure of playing with a couple of them yeah. last year in the under-23s. Um, played a couple of games and even even when we played uh, I made my debut in Europe I mean that's a the whole team's young yeah. the whole team's young the the uh, Astana that's right yeah Maisie and I were there yeah of course so it's like those guys are still finding their voices and in training just recently I think a week or two weeks ago we're doing a practice in training and um, Demps Mark Demps is trying to get the lads to use the voice and we're just practicing yeah. head in and then some 1v1 defending it was like head the ball clear drop in defend this 1v1 scenario or 2v2 and the lads are coming and heading the ball not saying a word and like, just use your voice don't be afraid of your own voice you find as a youngster as you said there you're afraid of either saying the wrong thing or your voice comes out and who's this voice jumping yeah, out at me yeah. and they're yeah. not necessarily you know happy to hear them themselves and project their voice it's quite an odd thing to do and then as you say, as you get older, you're so used to hearing yourself talking utter twaddle and yeah. just <laughs> yeah. um, badgering people. And they're probably thinking, Ian, he's not got a clue. He's just chucked that corner in his own net and he's still <laughs> nattering at me to go and do this, that and the next. He's coach out himself to do. But that's what, I, that's what I'm like. I've always been like that. Uh, speaking of when you were a young player, though, you were the young player of the year for Derby, right? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Must have been pretty special. Yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. I mean, I'd had a really enjoyable rise from coming towards the end of the school no no football club no professional club and then signing for a club in my last year of school and then I was on this like unbelievable journey of getting into England setups and um, playing for England under 16 17s 18s 19s 21s I was like wow this is unbelievable where's this going making my debut at 19 and young player of the year and just had a really amazing journey as a young player and kind of felt like this is this is great. Where's this heading? This is gonna go. Um, this is gonna go all the way. I'm gonna be on match of the day. This oh, I can't I can't wait for this big money move that's coming and all the rest of it. And then 
not too long afterwards, football kind of has a nasty habit then of coming back around, biting you in the arse and saying, actually, hold on a minute. If you don't do things right, you know, this is how it can look. And then I found myself sitting on the bench at the football club that I'd come through as a young boy at and um, thought that I was not untouchable. Definitely didn't think I was untouchable, but I, I felt like, well, I'm number one at Derby, so I'm number one. That's me. I'm, it's kind of now, what's next? Not don't need to concentrate on this bit here. I've done that. So it's what's next, what's coming next. And then, as I say, football kind of went, bang, have that. Get back on the bench and sort yourself out. And um, yeah, so I went from young player of the year. Oh, this is all easy and great to being humbled in a sense and um, having to take my medicine for a bit. And as I say then, from at, 20, at the age of 21, 22, having played 100 odd times in the league and felt like I was in a really good place to then perhaps just letting, I don't know whether it's my ego or immaturity or complacency, maybe a combination of all of those things, just let it creep in. And um, is, this when, is this when Lee Camp came in? Did he take your place? Yeah, so you've got myself as an England under 21 and then everything I did coming through at the football club, Lee Camp did exactly the same. And it was like yeah. a really good, really good time for the football club in terms of their goalkeepers and young goalkeepers and actually young academy players as a whole. I think at one stage when I was playing in the uh, in the first team, we had like six, seven lads all through the academy. And a lot of those were like my age group, yeah. Marcus Tudgay, Pablo Mills, Chris Rigger, all of these guys that come through. And yeah, everything I did... Lee Camp was doing the same. So if I was playing under 16s at England, Lee Camp was playing under 15s. And we did that all the way through. Up 21s, he was playing under 20s. And then I got too old for the 21s. He was playing under 21s. It's like, wow, this is great. But I was thinking, well, as long as I'm here, Lee Camp's always going to be behind me because I'm here. And... I'm in control and of my own destiny, and as long as I do the right things. Why do you think? Why do you think that was? But uh, do you know what? So as, as a young player, was it your form? Was it? I did a few bad yeah, games, or the, 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 it's as simple as that. In a sense, it's it was for me having a couple of bad games and then being able to deal with that, and then I didn't learn how to deal with that yeah. until I'd left Derby. I really didn't re- understand how to deal with that. No, I won't say. Probably yeah. Towards my end of my at Derby so when I was sort of 23, 24 when I really matured and understood about what's required from a professional athlete footballer which is consistency I've always been a really hard worker dedicated I've always been that but that consistency and maturity about your performance and about what managers want they just want reliability they don't want nine nine and in the team of the week this week and then five and he's cost us a goal the next week they'd rather have six and a half, seven, seven yeah. and a half, six, yeah. six and a half, seven. And I think that's where I struggled a little bit. Was there any uh, animosity between us? Absolutely not. Never. No. Never. Especially when you're playing in a, such a specialised position where it's one in, one out. You know, in particular with a goalkeeper, once you're in, it's going to take three or four big bloopers perhaps to get yourself out of the team. Mm. So, so we had that kind of back and forth for a bit then. So, you know, you've got two, two goalkeepers in their early 20s. Both, I wasn't a local boy. Lee Camp was a local boy, but, you know, near enough. I've been at the club since I was 15. So, they, you know, one of, one of their own almost at Derby. Um, and then we had this back and forth. We both called Lee. Uh, the commentators used to always call me Lee Camp. They used to wind me up. Oh, yeah, probably yeah, didn't, that, probably didn't stop, that probably didn't stop happening until I was about 30. 
I used to get called <laughs> Lee Camp all the time. I still get people calling me Lee Camp now. I mean, it's ah. I wonder. Oh, I've, I've never asked Campy that question. Whether he'd ever get called Lee Grant? Probably not, because he's not as good looking as me. So you know, I'm sure I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we had that back and forth really, and then out of the blue, Billy Davis comes in and decides neither of us are good enough, and um, decides to bring in somebody else. And then you know, that for me, I realised quite quickly that you know I'm in my early twenties, and obviously having played over 100 league games or 100 or so league games, whatever it was. Yeah that this is for me now, you know, I want to do this yeah. and I want to do it properly and I don't want to stick around here if I'm not going to play. I love the game. I love being... You had a couple of loan spells thrown in there as well, didn't you? Yeah, that's it. And and really, maybe that's what showed me what it was all about. Going to Oldham was like, whoa, this is what it's all about again. I, I took a step down to go to League One. Who's the manager then? It was Ronnie Moore. Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie Moore. Yeah. And... I got a phone call from the goalie coach, said, would you fancy, I think it was like a Thursday, you fancy coming up and playing at the weekend. I think their goalie was having a tough time. I was just like, 100%, 100%, I'll be there tomorrow morning. Yeah, need to go away. I went up and we had five clean sheets in my first six games. And I remember how cold it was. I'd never been that far north in my life. It was, Oldham is freezing. <laughs> it's such a cold place. And the stadium's like... It's only two miles from my house. It's perfect. Is it? Oh, well, you'll know then. You'll know. It's freezing. I still go watching them. Top, top of the hill, that stadium. You know, there's no... There's not a radiator in sight in that stadium. There's no... None of, the lu- none of the luxuries that I had at Derby County. I mean, coming from Derby where it was... Someone would clean your boots and lay your kit out for you and all of this stuff. The training ground's impeccable at Derby County stadium amazing and then up to Boundary Park and it's like ah oh, this is what it's all about and I think my second or third game half time one of the centre halves we were having a pop at each other the two centre halves I won't name the names but one of the centre halves has got up and gone straight in the face of the other centre half who's sitting here next to me in the changing room so I'm trying to split them up and the centre half who's smacked the other one has gone he's given me this death stare and said I think you want to let me go and I'm thinking yeah probably are you probably are I'll let, I'll let you two get on with it so I step back out, I step back out of the way and re- remove myself from that situation quite quickly but it gave me that taste of this is what it's all about again and yeah. like being at the sharp end of it winning game and it meant a lot to these lads and it meant a lot to me because I needed to put myself back in the mix and show people that I wasn't just um you know, a lad that is, was fortunate to get games and then wasn't yeah. good enough or whatever. It was like, no, this is a lad that you know, applies trade and is going to be a good goalkeeper in the league somewhere. And then back to Derby, my contract was running down. They said they got promoted to the Premier League, which was a wonderful experience. I mean, I played eight games for Derby that season. They got promoted. Eight games was not enough for me. Um, I wasn't satisfied to stay there and they offered me a contract to sit on the bench more than likely in the Premier League yeah. and I was like nah, not no not for me I'd rather I'd rather sign for somebody else and if, you know and in fact I'll be honest with you I'd actually signed or I'd agreed to sign for Sheffield Wednesday before that playoff final had even finished so before we'd even been promoted I'd already decided I didn't care whether we got promoted or not I was going to go and sign for Sheffield Wednesday um, and that's what I did um, and I had three unbelievable years there I loved it loved it you did 136 consecutive games, didn't you? Yeah, I literally went there, signed, played the first game, was really ropey. And I mean ropey. I was like, first goal was a penalty. It wasn't my fault. Second goal, ooh, could he have done better? I don't know. We'll give him the benefit of his doubt. It's his debut for the club. 
Third goal, I think we were 3-0 down at half-time or something. Definitely my fault. Parried. <laughs> parried a shot that I could have took my cap off and put on. I think just with nerves or something. I don't know what it was. 3-0 down. We lost the game comfortably. And then, you know, early in the season, you always have a cup game, don't you, really early yeah. on? I think it's yeah. the second or third game. And I remember Brian Laws, who was the manager, put the other goalkeeper in for the cup game. And I'm thinking, oh, it's not, it's not going to happen again, is it? <laughs> I'm not going to end up be sitting on the bench now for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, all these horrible thoughts coming into my mind and the other keeper played, did all right. Brian Laws put me back in for the following league game and then from that moment on, it was literally 136 games consecutive. I didn't miss a game for three seasons, played through anything just to keep playing and the gaffer was brilliant, played me in all the cup games. That's brilliant, that. That is a record. Championship's a slog anyway. Tough, yeah. Playing... 46 games and then, you know, you've got the cup games and all the rest of it. It's a slog anyway. So you're 50 games a year almost. And um, United now, that's like 50 games a year would be, be half a well, be easy. What an easy season that would be. Play <laughs> 60 games a year here now. But yeah, it was a good achievement and I loved it. Just playing every week, learning my trade, getting better with each season. And, and yeah, that's what it's all about. Just really, really learning my trade. So then you went back to Burnley, then back to Derby, then to Stoke. And then the move that we're very excited to talk about. But before we do, during how much of all of this time are you still a United fan? And, and how much focus can you give to other football teams? Or do, do you just close in on where you are? That's a really good point, you know, because I don't know whether many lads talk about that. You know, you see lads, don't they, when they sign, and they're like, lifelong Liverpool fan, yeah. lifelong City yeah. fan, lifelong United fan. Have you been lifelong when you've been playing for Everton or when you've been doing this or you've been doing that at a club down the road? And the, the, the reality is, no. When I'm at Sheffield Wednesday, I was committed to Sheffield Wednesday for three years and I didn't have a clue what was going on in the Premier League, let alone with Man United. Yeah. And in a sense, aside from match of the day, it's like that's another world. It really is like another world when you're in the championship because it's so all-consuming. Um, and you hear about managers in the championship talk about what a tough league it is and how how difficult it is a league to get out of and all the rest of it. And it really is. They're not they're not just they're not just giving you hot air. That's it, it's tough and it is all consuming. And that's the way it was for me. I, I really didn't have time to follow United and dream about a move one day back to the football club I loved. It was it was just never on the agenda. It was like I'm too busy worrying about Barnsley away, do you know what I mean? Or what's coming here at Scunthorpe. So it's that was that was what it was. So to come back, obviously once you arrive back in the Premier League, so when I arrived back in the Premier League with Stoke, then it becomes, okay, this is back into focus now. And, you know, for two years, you have got an eye on what's going on up the road. And especially because, you know, they're the games you want to play in and yeah. you want to beat your old team. And until you're actually here, now I consider myself, I feel more of a Man United fan now I'm back here than I've ever felt. Put it that way. Put it that way. That makes sense. Yeah. But before you got there, you had to play against United. You're managed by yeah. United legend in Mark Hughes. Yeah. You've got a game at Old Trafford and you had what must have been one of the greatest games of your life. Yeah, I'm not even embarrassed about saying that. It's like, I love it. I love, I love talking about that game and reminiscing on how that game went because, I mean... Ah, what I say? Yeah, I felt like I earned it. I felt like I earned it. I was like, yeah, I've worked hard to be here. And I was intent, I was, I was hell bent on enjoying that game, first and foremost. But I really wanted to do well because I was, I'm really early on still into my Premier League journey. 
So it was like, this is going to be a, this is going to really tell, like a litmus test to see what I'm like here. Am I good enough? Am I good enough to play in the Premier League? I've done it the week before at West Brom, at home to Stoke. Yeah, done all right, done well, great. Managed to keep the shirt for the following week at United. Had you been to Old Trafford before? Yeah, but only as a fan. Oh, only yeah. to watch. I've been on the bench for Derby. When Derby were in the Premier League, I was 17. Yeah. I, sat, I sat on the bench um, at Old Trafford. <laughs> Jesus. Have I been, had I been, other than that, never, I've never been, so I've been as a 17-year-old, that was it, yeah, I've been as a 17-year-old, I hadn't been back since as a player. Wow. Wow. And I was 33, maybe 34, so it's 17 years later, or 17, and then another 17 years when I was back to play and I started to Stoke. So really, yeah, it was like, okay, let's see what you made of, Lee. You thought you might be good enough. What can you remember from it? Apart from you making all those saves, the build-up. Yeah, I remember everything about that day. I remember everything about that day really clearly. And I remember being afterwards, because the game was massive for me, right? Yeah. But the, you can imagine, we drew we drew 1-1. So I didn't keep a clean sheet. We didn't win the game. It was a big result for Stoke, don't get me wrong. So I don't yeah. think Stoke had even had a point at Old Trafford for, I'm tempted to say, like 60 years or something. It was a long time since Stoke had had a point at Old Trafford. So it was, it was, it was big, but we hadn't won a game. So, you know, it was no high fives in the changing room afterwards. There was no champagne or yeah. there was no celebration on the team bus. So when you get on the team bus and I'm like this like, with my phone, like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And the other <laughs> lads are sort of sat there like this, like, decent point now. We've got next to the, yeah, we've got to try and get it. We need a win. <laughs> and I'm like, buzzing your off. I'm buzzing. I've got all <laughs> this excitement inside me. I'm thinking, oh my God, are you not mental? I've just kept, I've just like made 10 saves at Old Trafford. Are you actually just, everyone's just like, no one's really saying anything. Sat in the back and like, Phil Bardsley's, I think, sat next to me and he's played at Old Trafford enough times to not even care. And Crouchy's sat there and he's not bothered. And it's like, Joe Allen done it enough times. He's played at Liverpool, so he probably hated every minute of it anyway. Yeah. And it was like, oh, <laughs> this is amazing, lads. I can't believe no one else is wanting to like... And then you get in your car and drive home and sat in traffic. I remember sitting in traffic from Nutford to Stoke on the way home. But yeah, just uh, that was amazing. I loved that day. I loved everything about the performance. The atmosphere. The atmosphere, everything. I mean, to a degree, you don't take in too much of that. Yeah. Was it? Was you nervous before the game? Um, do you do you get nervous before games? Yeah, I do get a little bit nervous. Yeah, I'm quite quiet before games. So I'm really I'm this really loud character all week, and then on a Saturday from half one till kickoff, I'm quite quiet, and that's mm. not quiet as in oh I'm scared I'm nervous. It's just no 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 yeah just in the zone. I've done my talking so, and then I I've always thought to myself I'll do my talking out on the pitch. So the whistle would go. I might not have spoken to anybody in the change room. I would literally not speak to people in the change room before games. And then the whistle would go and I'd go, bah! and there's all this noise would come and I'd be screaming at everybody. And I used to save it for the game. And I think there's no point with talking in here. And I've come across enough players, you will be absolutely the same. Yeah. I'm not going to name any that would talk the hind legs off a donkey in the changing room and then get on the pitch and they wouldn't say boo to a goose. And I'd always thought, I've always thought to myself, I'd never want to be a, one of those players. I always want to be, when it, when it matters, I want to be there for my teammates to talk and help and cajole or whatever it is that's needed. Going back slightly to that specific game at Old Trafford when you're playing for Stoke, it's a really interesting emotion, I guess, that you had because 
it reminds me of Igalo, who's spoken about, obviously he's a lifelong United fan and he played yeah. at Old Trafford and against United for Watford. That desire to want to beat that team. He's not tempted to go like, oh, I love United, let them win. <laughs> let it all go in. Go on, lads. Just throw one yeah. in. Yeah, no, I get, I get that. I get that. But you think about it. So if you're a professional athlete, so yeah. what you want to do is you're, you're like a peacock in that moment. Mm-hmm. You want to puff your chest up and show them who you are and show your personality. And um, although you're not, you know, although you might not have that crest on your shirt, and of course I had the Stoke, the badge which I was proud to be wearing I wanted to show Man United fans and everybody in that statement oh, I, wanted, I wanted them to just this wasn't it's not consciously I didn't come out of the tunnel at Stepford and going I want the fans to remember Lee Grant's name after this it, but subconsciously you're like I really want to do well today I really yeah. want to make some impression on this game um, almost to a degree where I was thinking I would hate if this game ended nil-nil and I've not had a touch. And then people go, oh, that was easy. God, Man United were poor. Man, 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 all the yeah. about Man United. I would have much rather, we got beat 5-0, I'd have made 10 saves and people went, oh, you had a real good game. I know you got battered, but what a game you had. Well done, you can be proud. I would have rather that. In the end, we got a point and I managed to still make some saves. So, you know, well, a clean sheet would have been even better. Martial broke my heart when he came on and scored. Absolutely broke my heart. <laughs> You've spoken to him about it since. <laughs> no, he wouldn't remember that, that meaningless goal against Stoke. Anthony scores goals like that every week. Me and Anthony have a, have a nice little, um, we have this nice little battle actually. And um, I'm always on at him in training and I'm always digging him in training to try and do better. And... Um, that I've always got the upper hand and whenever we're shooting, if, so if, if we're doing, if we're doing a drill that's really normal, they're just, they're, they might even just be running a phase where they're passively shooting into the goal. They're not even shooting into the goal properly. So the phase will finish in the mid third and then it's like someone will shoot and the, but the shot's not really full tempo. If Anthony shoots and I save it, I'll go one nil. <laughs> one nil, Anto. One nil. And then, it, and then he'll do this and then he'll get this horror, like this glint in his eye and then the next one will come through and it won't matter if um, the gaffer said, don't worry about the shot at the end, just finish just before. He'll come through and he'll want to shoot. And then it's like this mad one-on-one scenario and then he'll score and he'll go, and he's like, one, one. Or he won't even say nothing, he'll just, he'll just do that. And then I'm like, oh, next one. And then we do that all day. And we have this lovely little um, rivalry that goes on between us. And actually, you might have caught it. The goal he scored at home against Bournemouth where he cuts inside and hits that unbelievable strike. Yeah. yeah. The third goal was it? I think it was the third goal. And he looks up in the stand and he's like, he just looked up at me like that. <laughs> and I was stood up and just giving him an applause because that's the type of thing he would do and he would love to have scored that goal against me. Probably more so than he would love to have scored it against Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So how did the move to United come about? When did you first hear about it? What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? What happened? I'm trying to think whether it was this, whether the season was finished or not. I think the season was just coming to a close and I was sat having dinner with her or having lunch with a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine. And my phone goes and it's my agent. And I've been out at my agent like, come on, we need to sort something out this summer because I shouldn't be on the bench at Stoke. That was my feelings. I was like... I'd played, I'd had an unbelievable season and I've proved to everybody I'm good enough to play in the Premier League week in and week out. And then I found myself playing like five games the following season. Now, that is what it is. That's football. But I felt hard done by, to be honest. My phone goes, my agent, I'm thinking, right, come on then. 
earn your money. What have you got? Yeah, what have you got? <laughs> and it was really odd how he started the conversation. He starts the conversation with, um, listen, Lee, you're not, this is not what you want. So I'm thinking, what's this then? This is not what you want. And I'm thinking, he's going to tell me he's got me something where I'm not playing. Straight away, that was my first thought. He's going to tell me something where I'm not, guaranteed, or I'm not guaranteed to play. There's no guarantee ever to play, yes. but where I'm maybe not regarded as the number one. So I'm thinking that's what he's going to tell me. So I'm thinking, okay, go on. And he goes, Man United have just called. And I went, let me just stop you there. And he's going, what? I'm going, if they called you and said that they want me to come and cut the grass or pick the dirty <laughs> kit up or drive the bus... I said, I'll do any, it doesn't matter what it is they want me to come and do. I said, just call them back quickly. I was like, call them back quickly now and tell them I'm coming. I want to come. And he's like, well, hold on, let's just talk about it. I said, you don't need to talk about it. I said, just get it done. I said, and don't call me until it's done. (laughs) Um, And then it probably took, I mean, these things, maybe you all know, these things never run smoothly in a straight line. it's happening, it's not happening. You, the club you're at want it to happen. They don't want it to happen. Um, they're going to let you go for nothing. Oh, now we want some money for you. It's Man United interested. It's one of those, these types of situations. And six weeks later, I end up signing. Um, and just a really proud moment. Really, really proud moment because I had been on a journey to get here. And there's not, you know, I think being a Manchester United player still has huge significance in the footballing world. I don't care what club you're coming from, it's not Manchester United. It doesn't have the same allure. It doesn't have the same, the name doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't ring in all four corners of the globe like Manchester United does. So to be associated with this football club and to have Jose Mourinho, who is one of the all-time greats as a manager, you know, make a play to have you as part of his um, squad. I was really, really proud, really chuffed a bit. Um, still am to this day. Who did you tell first? So you put the phone down from your agent. Who did you ring first? Because you'd have been like a kid in a sweet shop. You know what? It was, it was six weeks of hell. I'll be honest. Don't tell me you didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my best friend. How have you managed that? Who else did I tell? So I didn't, I didn't tell my wife till about two weeks before I signed. We were on holiday and... I didn't tell anybody. I hadn't told my son. My son's a mad football fan as well. So I hadn't told anybody. Who would I, t- I think there were literally two people. I told the sports psychologist I work with. I, no, I hadn't even told him. I did, it's just been between me and my agent. We were just literally back and forth. My, my, my wife was going, why are you on the phone to your agent for all the time? And I was saying, well, he's got something, but you know what he's like. And it's probably not going to come off. So I'm not going to bore you with it. And she's going, oh. Well, she, and that was enough for her because she was... <laughs> yeah. She was, to be honest, bored of, you know, things happening and then not happening and being on and then not yeah. on. Because when you are discussing these things, as you'll know, Maze, it's like you've got to talk, think about relocating family and schools and this and that. Sure. And you don't want to get too far down the line mentally with some of these things to then it not to happen. That's amazing that you never told anyone. Yeah, we were, we were on holiday. I remember we were on holiday and I was on the phone every day for an hour or so with my agent trying to get this thing over the line. And what was it that was... Stalling it. The stall, the sticking point was two things. Well, mainly the fact that Stoke wanted a fee for me. Yeah. And that fee was higher than I thought it should be, and perhaps a little bit higher than Man United wanted to pay. Yeah. So there's always that, but that yeah. always yeah, comes yeah, yeah. together kind of naturally anyway. But then also, Stoke were looking at it, going, "Do we really want to let him go?" Oh. They were like, they were thinking, well. 
if Man United want to take him and we've got two really good goalkeepers in Lee and Jack. Lee's our current player of the season. Jack is one of their high value players, um, mm-hmm. high potential players and have been really consistent for them. So for them, they were in a wonderful position to have these two goalkeepers and they were being a little bit selfish to a degree. But then there came a point where I sat and spoke with a football club and spoke to the powers that be in the chief exec. Who was the manager then? Was Sparky the manager? No, actually, it had um, just gone from Paul Lambert to Gary Rowett. Gary Rowett had literally right. taken over a couple of weeks before this was all developing. Or I think he'd taken over as it was all developing. So I ended up going and sitting in Gary Rowett's office. And Gary Rowett lived two minutes away from me in Derby. And we were actually fairly good friends. So it was a little bit awkward. And I remember going and sitting in his office. And, and actually, Gary... You've got to say, you've got to let me go away, by the way. <laughs> Gary Rowett played with my agent. So my agent and Gary Rowett are really good friends. And we kind of... Uh, I say we kind of... We hijacked his office, for want of a better word. I knocked on his door and I was like, um, Gaffer, do you mind if I have a word? And he was like, yeah, of course. And his door was always open. Gary Rowett is yeah. a good manager. He's a good manager. One of those managers, yeah. if you knock on his door, he'll let you in and you can have a conversation. Not all managers are like that. You'll know that. And as I opened the door, I've got halfway in the door and I've gone, oh, Gaffer, um, my agent's downstairs. Do you mind if he comes in? Because I rang my agent. I said, just get yourself, park up at the training ground this morning. We're going we're gonna to have it. We're going to yeah. lock this door. We're going to get it just getting sorted <laughs> one way or t'other. And I could see the gaffer's face like, huh? Your agent's here. Like, it's not the done thing, especially in this day and age. No. Your agent just no. doesn't just turn up at the training ground. So my agent is, is there suited and booted with it. And it's like, oh, he just so happens to be downstairs in the car park. And the gaffer's like, confused. I said, I'll just go and get him. Two secs, so we're going to get the agent. And the pair of us have sat there, parked ourselves up in his office. And we're like, right, what's going on? Are we getting this done or what? And he was good. I'll be honest, the gaffer was good. He actually was, in a sense, he was was batting for us and he just said, look, I'd like to keep you at the football club, but, and I had to be honest, I had to be really honest. In those situations, I think I've learned it's better to just be honest and say what you feel. There's no point me going in there and saying, well, of course I still love Stoke. Um, gaffer and I want to be because the reality is yes I had two wonderful years at Stoke and yes if I was playing every week it may have been slightly different but when Man United come knocking there just was no debate for me Stoke fans might be like oh that's, that's all but it's not it's not no. when when it's Manchester United you you go and you answer that call and um, I just was really honest about that with the manager and he I think he understood and as well as where, where I was in my career as well but 34 it's like this opportunity is probably not going to come around again. Unbelievable. Yeah. So it got done in the end. It got done a week or so later. And just like I say, amazing, amazing sort of turnaround from where I was even a couple of years back at Derby where things were like rocky as well. So just an interesting journey. And actually for me, it's like a, a reminder of how to bridge the gap and just keep going and just keep plugging away at stuff even when you can't necessarily see the end in sight where you're sort of plugging away and you're thinking oh this is crap and I'm not playing at Derby or I've dropped I'm on the bench again at Stoke and how's this happening to poor old me again and just keep doing the right things keep working hard and somehow I found myself at Manchester United so yeah really really proud. What did it feel like to 
to finally tell people? And I guess on like your first day when you turned up and you went down yeah. to the Aeon Training Complex and it's like, this is it, Manchester United player. I couldn't wait to tell people. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. So all those people that I've been speaking to and they're going, what's happening with you this summer? Are you getting away? Are we going to see you on the ticker tape this, this year on the breaking news? And my mates would always say things like that. And I'd be like, oh, and I'd be playing dumb thinking, oh, wait till you hear this one. <laughs> and then, so I hadn't told anybody until after I signed. So it literally, it comes up on Sky Sports News. Oh, Man United signed, experienced goalkeeper Lee Grant from Stoke. For a fee of da 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 da, and my phone's blowing up, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm buzzing. I couldn't wait to tell people. As I say, it's just like it's amazing. It's such a big football club to be involved in. So, and that's it's never lost on me, and it, I don't think it will ever be lost on me that you know the importance of that. How does it feel now knowing that you're a Manchester United player? Yeah, it's it's incredible, mate. Honestly, maybe it's incredible. So. That first, you, you came to America with us, didn't you, on, on the pre-season? Yeah. Tour. Were you out there? Yeah. So I sent a picture of myself in my training kit to my mum on my first day in the mirror. <laughs> so I was in the, um, I'm in the Lowry Hotel. He put me up in the Lowry for a couple of weeks while I was trying to find somewhere to live for me and my family. Yeah. My first day in my kit and I put it on and I, I just kept doing that. Like, wow, look at that. <laughs> Is it real? <laughs> oh, it's still there. Look at that. It's there. And I took a picture and sent it to my mum. I think I sent it to my wife and my son as well. I was like, look, oh, I've got Man United kit on. It's got Big Only Dust logo and it's got that crest. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like that. Did you realise how big the club was? Because when I left Blackburn, I thought, oh, it's just, a, not just another club, but yeah. I didn't think it would be as big as, I, I'm still gobsmacked. And as you say, your first tour to LA. Yeah, America, the US was incredible. So you, obviously you were there, so you saw it. So that was a huge eye opener for me. It's incredible. Huge eye opener. I mean, we're we're getting off. Listen, you, when you're in the Premier League at Stoke, little little things that don't necessarily happen every week in the Championship, like flying to all the games. I've met, yeah. They're happening at Stoke. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, this is great. We're flying to all the games at Stoke, and we're getting treated nice, and you know. Just all these little things that you don't necessarily get at other clubs. And then particularly as you go championship or wherever further down, these things are beyond comprehension. But then you come to Manchester United and you're you, like little things like you get off the plane, which is a private plane and all the rest of it. And then you're escorted to your hotel with a cavalcade of um, police. and <laughs> Outriders. And every day, yeah, every day you arrive at training, there's thousands of people just to, and they can't even watch you train, by the way. No, they're, no. Just, they're just there to catch a glimpse of you walk past 10 yards from the changing room to the training pitch. And there's thousands of people there that want to just be near you or touch or scream. Or, and, and that was amazing. That was incredible. And then the superstars that want to come and watch you train. So every so often, the football club would invite you know, some A-list celebs down to watch training. and Julia Roberts, yeah. Julia Roberts or <laughs> anybody. And he's got all these people thinking, whoa, this is amazing. This is amazing. Not to mention the lads that I'm around, by the way, which yeah. I'm having to acclimatise all of that as well, which is, you know, with no disrespect to any other football club I've been at, the guys here are, of course, of top, top quality, technically and professionally, but also... The lots of the guys here are huge characters as well, mm-hmm. and huge, huge. I like some of them are icons. Yeah, they're icons in, in in their in their presence almost. So it's like, whoa, that takes some getting used to quite quickly. It's normal now. They're all just yeah. that Nops. idiot from training. Yeah, <laughs> it's just normal. Yeah. People will be thinking of like. 
Pogba like straight away. But I suppose when you turned up, Zlatan was here. Well, he was here. He he wasn't here as a player. He was here in LA. He was there in LA though. He came and visited us. So oh, amazing. So all I was hearing in that first month or so while I was acclimatizing was stories about Zlatan because <laughs> obviously his, <laughs> his period at the club had just come to an end. Right. I would. The lads would talk about him constantly. Oh, do you remember when Zlatan did that? Do you remember when um, <laughs> remember when Zlatan was getting on such and such in training and nearly made him cry? Or remember that thing Zlatan does where he like he he, he comes he does that kung fu kick and it's like he can kung fu and over his head. Or do you remember when Zlatan that scored that goal? Or do you remember when Zlatan nutmegged that guy and then absolutely took the p- and like ruined that lad in chat? And it's like, oh my god, I'm thinking who's this Zlatan character? But the lads, that was what it was like all the time. And then I got a chance to meet him in uh, in LA literally for five, ten minutes just to yeah. say hello and ask him how he was enjoying America and all the rest of it. Which, for me, just to see how the lads interacted with him and to see huge stars that I thought were huge stars actually looking up to uh, the king. That was that was quite an eye-opener. That was quite an eye-opener. But it seemed like a really nice guy. I'm actually disappointed I didn't get a chance to um, yeah. play with him myself. Well, you, he played in the game when you played for Stoke though, right? Yeah, so I played against him, of course. Yeah, kept a clean sheet against him. Against him individually. Oh, I had him on toast. He's in here somewhere. He's in here in my pocket still <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere. <laughs> no, I had him on toast that day. I had him on toast. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, of course I wouldn't say that to his face. But if I'd have been, if I'd been trading against him, um, I imagine he would have had me on toast much yeah. more often than I would have had him on toast. But um, that was a good day for me, yeah. Nice. Uh, another day that must have been, uh, although the the result was, I guess, disappointing. But I mean, we mentioned it earlier. But your your full debut where you started against Astana in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Obviously, as Maisie and I were there, and we went to Oli's press conference the day before, mm-hmm. and I remember it really stuck with me. Like, not only did he talk about you a lot, but he was so passionate and positive about how dedicated you were and making sure everybody knew that. And it, it wasn't just a case of here's a guy we've got and he's going to play this one. And, you know, it's a, yeah. a different, like, mm. as you said, a lot of the younger players were playing. But, like, mm. it sounds like your influence at training and stuff is so is, is just massive. And is it hard to keep that, because obviously you're in the latter stages of your career now, mm. to keep that level of, of focus and determination? Or do you just absolutely love it? Because talking to you, it, like... I'm now gutted we don't get podcast shirts so I can't look at a badge on my chest because your your attitude is so infectious that I imagine to have you at training would be such a joy unless you were someone like Maisie who I expect would just want to like kick about at the back and not get shouted yeah. at. <laughs> um, well thank you very much for saying so yeah like, listen the gaffer obviously said some nice things about me that day and that's probably um, that probably that one press conference opened my eyes a little bit to some of the things I was doing perhaps subconsciously I was just doing anyway, but it probably opened my eyes to how I'm viewed at the football club and what my, what my role is essentially, what my role is. Yeah. And listen, I, I know that anyway, my role, when I signed, I signed knowing that David De Gea was established as Manchester United's number one. Sergio Romero is absolutely pushed in every inch of the way and performed fantastically whenever he'd had an opportunity and is still doing and those two have been going almost like hammer and tongs really pushing each other for the last few years three four seasons they two mm-hmm. Sergio's been at the club pushing David of course Sergio would love to play more I see Sergio day in day out and the guy wants to play this guy is he cares about playing for the club he wants to play every single game he doesn't just want to play 
on the occasions that you see him play when he plays in the cup and you might go, oh, I imagine Sergio's going to play this next game. No, he wants to play in the Premier League and he wants to play the following week in the Premier League and he doesn't care that David signed a long contract. He wants to play because he's, um, you know, he's a serious professional. And I'm the same. I'm an absolute... And my goal I was talking with the goalkeeper coach the other day. I think part of the reason why... I work well in the role that I'm in is because I do want to play. And as daft as it may seem, if you're from the outside and you don't know myself or you might think, well, Lee Grant's gone there. He knows full well he's not going to play. He's just happy to be there, collect his wages and go home. Now, that wouldn't work for anyone, I don't think, because that would have a really short shelf life. And if that was the case, the gaffer would come in, he'd smell it a mile off. Ah, this guy, look, not interested. He's here for maybe he's here because he's a Man United fan, and that's all he wants to be here for. Or he's here because of the status it may give him, or it might you know flatter, flatter his ego. Listen, I'm here. My role is to push those other two, but I have to do it in, to, to sort of justify that to myself. I have to do it in such a way that it's real for me. So I have to do it and do it as if I'm going to play. So I have to prepare to play. And you might think, yeah. well. Lee, are you going to? Are you really preparing to play? Really? And the answer is yes. I have to prepare properly to play each week, even though the likelihood is that I'm not going to play. So I have to control my emotions, and perhaps that's easier because I'm a senior player. I'm older, so I'm not going to get carried away thinking. I'm not going to be here and be like, I'm going to play on Saturday and then be on the floor on Monday because I've, the gaffer's not picked me. That'd be stupid. So I have to remain very even and with my temperament and my emotions, but I still have to do the right things, which means being professional, prepare, preparing, properly. Yeah. prepare properly, prepare to play. And then if I'm not playing, I have to be ready to do the other things to help the team, which might be say the right thing at the right time to somebody or just generally be a good presence around the squad, not be a negative influence because maybe I'm sure you'll have had players that when they weren't playing were suck the energy or the life out of a squad yeah you know what I mean and yeah absolutely it's important that I don't do it's, that it's, it's it seems to me now granted that the squad that Ollie's built now yeah you, you can see it from I can see it from my perspective of being an ex-player there and since since the gaffer was there Sir Alex since he's left I've never seen I don't think I have a squad as as happy and goal lucky as it is now I knew this was going to come up and I knew one of you two were going to say that in in this podcast today because it occurred to me that I was thinking about where this conversation might go and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head. You can see all the lads are buzzing. There's no... So the gaffer's done a wonderful job of shaping the squad with the characters that he wants in a way that will allow people to thrive and the right energy to be within the squad. Yeah. And that's, as I say, with no disrespect to anybody that's come before, what we've got at the moment is really working and is, give, is given a really good foundation for young players to do well, for senior players to be rejuvenated um, and find their best form, mm-hmm. for players that may have been unsettled to come back to the group and be, yeah, I can I can see myself in this group. I can connect with this group. This is a group I like the look of. I absolutely believe in what we're trying to do as a team and where we're heading. And yeah, I want to be part of it. So all of those elements have come together. And what you're describing is is that. 
is that we've the gaffer's managed to do all of that somehow. I don't know how he's done it, yeah. but he's managed to do it all. And it comes across for you guys, guys in the press or anybody that's watching the football club now, anybody that's watching the restart, maybe Sam, the performances like scream that, don't they? Mm-hmm. Happy. Yes, they they yeah. scream yeah. of a squad that's happy playing with an element of freedom, but understand what their role is. They're going to do what they need to do, whether they're getting the limelight or not. Everybody's pulling in the right direction. And it's, a pleasure to be part of an absolute pleasure well I was going to say what I mean we'll have to wrap in a second because I obviously you you have a life to lead um, <laughs> and you don't want to spend all day just talking to us he's got to go and sort the kids out, the seats out I know correct, <laughs> correct. Um, but you in March you signed a one year contract extension you've also yeah. I guess started working this season with Richard Hartis because uh, yeah. Emilio left the club and you're doing your coaching badges right yeah so I mean my coaching journey started way back when I was at Derby County in terms of goalkeeping B license, outfield B license. And I, that kind of gave me a real thirst for it. And I continued, continued while I was at Stoke. And as I've arrived at Manchester United, I'm really blessed and really lucky that I've got some like good mentors, but I've also got some great young coaches that I can feed off as well. Um, and the club have done a, like have been fantastic with me in the sense that they've allowed me to get a sense of what that's going to be like for me as well. So Mm. Michael Carrick and Kieran, they'll allow me to come and sit down and have 10 minutes with them in the meeting room or the analysts have got time for me if I need it to um, have a chat and chew their ear off about what we're doing and where they're finding stats or how they're interacting with the manager and this and that. Um, Because I'm always asking those types of questions. I'm constantly watching what the gaff is doing and how we interact with people. And yeah, I'm just busy learning. I'm busy learning of what it's like to be at an elite football club and yeah, just how these things can help me going forward because I've got my own aspirations, you know, after the game that I want to coach, I want to manage and I feel like I'm in a really good place and a really good football club to learn about how to go about doing that. I love that. I've got two questions left. Maisie, what about you? Uh, I'm ready. I'm, 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 I'm finished. I've had enough. He's bored. He's heard enough. <laughs> he heard enough okay. half an hour ago. Hey, <laughs> camp has been brilliant. I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a dagger. Oh. <laughs> love it. Love it. They're both really quick ones. The first one is, <laughs> I saw uh, uh, the manager recently saying how he's more involved with the strikers uh, and like they're finishing in training. So presumably that means sometimes you're in goal and he's having shots at you. What's that like? Oh, the, gaffer, the gaffer loves it. The gaffer loves it. The trouble is our young lads now, they're, they're, stri- they're striking the ball ridiculous. Rashi, Mason, these guys, they're, they're hitting the ball so hard. The gaffer can't live with them now. No. His accuracy is still there though. Yeah. There's occasional that the ball will pop out and it'll just rattle one in the bottom corner and he'll give you the eyes. <laughs> but yeah, mate, there's, there's that much. We've got so many strikers. And you know what as well? There's, we've got about 25, 30 lads. Everybody, when shooting starts happening, all of a sudden we've got 30 strikers at the club. Yeah. People like yeah. Vita Lindelof at the back of the queue. And I'm thinking, I'm Absolutely. sure he's not a striker. I'm pretty sure he's a centre-half. <laughs> We're all strikers, you know. Correct. So the gaffer doesn't even get a look in now when it comes to the shooting drill. But it's still there. You can get a sense it's still there. Yeah. My other question was, I didn't. I saw these earlier. I didn't want to bring it up and disrupt everything. There's a pair of gold hands behind you. Yeah, yeah. 
They are symbolic, actually. They uh-huh. are symbolic. My mother-in-law got me them. Nice. She got them a Christmas present. I think they were a Christmas present. And they're just to symbolize the old, um, what these things can do, you know? Yeah, I like it. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so this is it. This is where we end. Lee, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest. Which of your teammates would you recommend we have on to tell us some good stories? Oh, I imagine. Have you had Nemanja on? No. No. Nemanja is good for a story. I yeah. like listening right. to Nemanja. Yeah. If ever, we, if ever I'm down to breakfast on the morning on a match day early at the hotel or something and there's Nemanja there, I'll have, I'll have half an hour listening to Nemanja. Yeah. Get him on. It'll be good value. All right. That's what we'll do. Lee, thank you so much. Lad. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure, mate. Well done, Paul. Take care, Ethan. And that was Lee Grant. What a charming man. Lovely fella. Love that one, guys. So yeah. gutted I missed it. So enthusiastic and happy and a proper United fan. Helen, I, I'm fascinated by your opinion uh, and your view on his story where he didn't tell his wife that he was going to United. He didn't tell a single person until it had happened and then just went, bosh. We're off to Manchester United. Mm, that would not happen in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and what if, what if it did happen? Unless it was Man United, yeah. That would yeah. be the only time that would be acceptable. <laughs> but he was obviously so worried about it not going through. And it is a, it is a really, really big deal that... That's massive. I can't, I can't believe that. And it's also a massive... Brilliant it's, it's a ma- Yeah, it's a massive deal as well, obviously, going to Manchester United. The fact that he doesn't want to jinx it. But the fact that he's a massive United fan as well, and the fact that you know he loves the club and he is where now he's always wanted to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's not going to play every game, but the way he prepares, day in, day out, just waiting for that chance. And if the chance comes, he knows that he's 100% ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like with Agarlo, you just... You instead something like when you when, like Bruno Fernandez instantly created a bond with the fans because of the way he played and this like just all action. Other players turn up and that you don't instantly get that connection between the the player and the fans for whatever reason. Mm. But when you know that that person is the same as you, they're actually a United fan out there on the pitch. You just that's it. You're you're on yeah, their side straight away. Yeah. yeah, massive. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. It's like a garlic. Maisie, I think there was a little bit of a bromance there. A little bit of bromance, yeah. Well, do you know what? I could have gone. They didn't need me. <laughs> I think at times, because, uh, all right, I know Lee's like maybe 15, 16 years younger than me, but he would still have the same upbringing as what I had. Mm-hmm. The fact that how you, you know, the way you conduct things on the pitch, off the pitch, in training, very vocal, which I was. Yeah, we um, we got on well together. And I do I do pity Simon there because he was sat there saying nothing. I I had a lovely time I had a lovely time (laughs) it was like walking into a restaurant and actually sitting in on someone else's date so you're you're now besties I wouldn't say we're besties you're now besties like Sam and Scolesy no (laughs) Maisie and Lee Sam and Scolesy love it It, well you know Helen you know you might be able to get into this group one one day or you know, I'll have maybe. to just wait for Johnny to come on so I can have yeah a... there you go yeah that's it <laughs> romance well, you, you still might not be as tight as me and Paul are but you know you're no that. clearly not yeah. clearly not great work guys love that one yeah thank you well, Helen. we missed you thank you should we have a look at some emails yep excuse me if I'm not pronouncing this one correctly uh, it's either Josh Sethna or Josh Sethna 
I'm late to the whole podcast scene and just started listening to the whole bunch. The Lou Macari one was especially the best considering all that he does and the pain he must have felt talking about his son. The whole sequence below where he talks about his son just epitomises what a good game and a team and sport does for you. And this is quotes from Lou's podcast. I'm not ashamed to admit when he put the ball in the back of that net. I lost the plot a bit. I forgot about my son. I did forget about him for probably 40 or 50 seconds or even longer. Josh says, just brilliant. Please keep the stories coming. Thank you. I think that was the bit of Lou's podcast that got myself and Sam as well. It was very, very emotional. Yeah. That is when, yeah. of course, when Lou was talking about Ollie scoring in the 99 Champions League final. Very, very emotional. So I think it's the thing that people most reference that that yeah. that episode and that moment, and I think for very good reasons. I have to say as well, I think out of all the podcasts, obviously they've all had brilliant feedback, but I think Lou is the one that people talk about most. Yeah, Would you two yeah. agree? I think it touches everybody's hearts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, okay, so I've got an email here from uh, Renee Bauer who says, "Hello from the west coast of Canada, which is absolutely beautiful. If anybody's not been, uh, while I've fallen behind on listening, I wanted to let you know how much I enjoy listening to the podcast. More recently, I listened to the episode with Ben Thornley. I found his story, which was new to me, particularly moving, and was delighted that my favourite local bookstore was able to order a copy of his book for me. How cool is that? Ben's got a book out. Yeah, he didn't mention that he's got a book out, but yeah, he's got a book out. <laughs> I've been a football and Maine United fan since the 2006." World Cup. I love to hear interviews with players I know and have watched play. I also love to learn about players I don't know so well, so I appreciate the range of guests you interview. I'm just reading Sir Bobby's wonderful memoir of his time at the club. Any chance he'd be a guest? The good thing about having fallen behind is that I have more episodes to look forward to. By the way, Helen, you're not the only one moved to tears by many of the players' stories, Rene. That was nice. It's been a while, actually, since I've yeah. had a little cry. Yeah, well, maybe we sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I didn't mean for that to sound threatening. It wasn't threatening to make you cry. I love that Rene went and got the book. I know. We should be on commission. Yeah, we should get commission. I bought it afterwards. Oh, there's two. Have a word with Ben. I'll speak to Ben about that. Yeah. Yeah. One more here. Apologies again if I am not pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Nathai Zimba. Hi, Sam, Helen and David. My name is Nathai Zimba from Zambia. I really want to say thank you for the amazing podcast you guys did with Robin Van Persie. It was so special hearing from one of my football heroes because the 2012-13 season was really special for me as United fan. Keep up the great work you guys are doing. If it's possible, I would love to hear from David Gill as well. Thank you so much and God bless. I would also love to hear from David Gill. That would be a fantastic one. Thank you very much indeed. Isn't it amazing? As like Maisie, you know this and, and Helen, you know this because you've been on the inside and you, you've seen the club. But to, like people are listening in Zambia. Isn't that amazing? I was just yeah. you just took the words right out of my mouth there, Sam. I was just gonna say the same thing. Oh, what's that song? That's a uh, meatloaf, that. You took the word from my mouth. <laughs> so yeah, all corners of the world. Yeah, amazing. I'd, look, I'd, I'd like people like that, you know, emailing in. Wonder where the most obscure places. We should get a little. We should get a little map. An A to Z. We should get an A to Z if we can fill an A to Z of countries. Well, we've got Zambia, so we've, we've got Zambia in the back. Yeah. And go up. yeah, that's true. And we've had Australia. Yeah. Yeah. We've had Belfast. So that's A B Z. Okay, right. This feels like the appropriate place to end this madness. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. That's it for another episode of the Manchester United podcast. We'll be back with another fascinating United guest next week. In the meantime, a reminder, you can watch the box set of the United podcast in full on MUTV with brand new episodes airing every single Friday. And as always, we'd love it if you could rate us or leave us a review, um, whichever platform you're listening on. Um, in fact, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, 
and tweet it to David May, he'll personally reply to you. That's, uh, that's a promise. Um, that's right, isn't it, Maisie? Yes, absolutely, Sam. Love doing that. Retweet with comment. That's what he will be doing. There you go. So screenshot your review, send it to Maisie. You get a reply. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. You t- <laughs> I just read the note. <laughs>